And this is Clint. Thanks for joining us again, guys. Uh, we're super excited to be back. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Do you you've been like all over the state? You, you didn't leave the state, right? You've been no, I've just, just been in Texas, all around the state, as per usual. <laughs> yeah, but but you like haven't been home like in three no. weeks, basically, right? Yeah. So this one was kind of rough. Um, not rough, but it, it was just a little bit more than usual because usually I'm home on the weekends. Right. If I travel. Yeah. Uh, but we had a conference in Austin, so a college conference. We were, a conference we had for college students. So uh, I ended up staying over. So it was basically traveled all week, stayed the weekend. I was in Houston for one day, and then I went to South Texas okay. for the rest of the week. Well, so. in January is like a pro-life month, too. Yes. So it's... Well, it's just, that's why we were there. Yeah, right? just a really big month for you guys. The Valley. Uh, well, not the Valley. Uh, we were in Austin for the Rally for Life. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's good. It's been good. Yeah. How have you been? I've man, I've been good. Life is so good. I'm so excited that we have all of this like different stuff done now. So like the Patreon and the website and like that all of that is out and we're not working on it anymore. Well, we are, but like it's minor things, so it's good to like have more free time to like work out again and spend more time in adoration and stuff like that and not have to stress worrying about this kind of stuff so no that that is good um yeah i'm excited uh that the website is up yeah dude it, it's so cool um i love it if you guys haven't checked it out check out the the links below it's just www.thechristinculture.com make sure you put the christ in culture otherwise it brings you to some other website apparently mm. but it's the christ in culture good deal and then uh the other thing is patreon so if you guys aren't familiar with Patreon, it's a chance for people to support us, basically. Uh, this is our second time doing live streaming, so our patrons can watch the shows live as we record them. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a sponsor, if you're interested in getting additional in, uh, content from us and stuff like that, that's how you do it. Uh, yeah. We are making extra content, we are making merchandise and all that kind of stuff. And if you want in on that kind of stuff, then uh, if you love what we're doing and you want in on that, just uh, check out our Patreon, see how much you can support us. Even if it's just a dollar a month or, yeah. or something like that, everything helps. Um, it takes a lot to yeah. keep this running. Right, and it helps us um, to be able to get better equipment because I'm sure uh, those of you who've listened to this podcast in the past have heard the sound quality issue that those who are watching live can see like our booms and and how um, difficult sometimes it is because uh, I bump this all of a sudden it sounds like a vibration through that you can't really edit out. So, well, um, you're from the Northeast, so you talk with your hands a lot. I do, yeah, I do. Um, I'm trying to not do that because just I be like a statue. Yeah, but it just allows us to have the equipment to create better content for you guys, and um, also to uh, we are starting to have uh, more and more guest speakers that want to come on. Yeah, uh, and so we want to make sure that for them we also have good equipment um, because they are taking their time yeah. to come and be on our podcast, and we want it to be of high quality. So yeah, so we're not going to drop any names yet, but we have some pretty big people who are were in the works of trying to get on here. So yeah, stay tuned excited. for that. It'll Very be cool. fun. So, uh, what media have you been in taking? It's been a lot of same old, same old stuff. To be honest, uh, I've been reading that Star Wars and Catholicism book that we talked about, and um, yeah, just kind of the same same books. Uh, been really watching the show Outlander a lot lately, mm -hmm. which I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's it's really good. Once you get past the first season, uh, the first season is kind of like a Game of Thronesy vibe as far as like inappropriate 
content, you know, but you get into the second and third season and that's not as present, but it's awesome. Basically the premise is like this lady from 1945 Mm -hmm. goes back in time to the 1700s and she's like stuck there and she falls in love with this guy and stuff. It's awesome. It's so cool. So cool. Um, but yeah, so I actually, I saw someone, one of our friends, uh, post something on Facebook. Um, it's basically just asking people to pray for priests. Mm -hmm. And so it has this really cool picture of like a priest praying and it's like, just every night say a prayer for a priest and like everything that they do, these are like good, holy men and they need our prayers. And it has a little vow that it says on it. And I want to read it real quick and see if you recognize it because I think you might. So it says, night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the light in the darkness. I am the bearer of the cross. I am the shepherd that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life to Jesus Christ and his church for this night and for all nights to come. Yeah, that is actually um, from Game of Thrones. That is uh, what the Night's Watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is their vow. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting thing because I think the Night's Watch... Actually, that'd be a really interesting podcast to have with some of what's going on. It's in my notes for a future episode. Perfect. So you'd mentioned earlier with uh, the show Outlander and how that first season was very Game of Thrones-esque. If you have watched Game of Thrones in the first couple seasons and been like, this is too raunchy for me, then I totally understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I really get it. Yeah. Uh, be that is be a, prudent. Yeah, it's it, it's yeah, bad. Very, 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 yeah. Very, very be prudent. Um, especially if that's going to lead you into further sins then avoid it but uh, what are you doing i just think it's really cool okay <laughs> he's just like staring at the uh, the camera <laughs> um so, sorry about that yes be prudent but in later seasons similar to the show outlander that stuff really falls to the wayside they yeah. don't have it as much yeah um and it really Thank doesn't goodness. become as as big i think it was just a hey this hbo and we can do it so let's do it well it gets people's attention right i think and, um yeah um sometimes the feelies are what uh, people want. The feelies. Um, and that's a reference to Brave New World, which I'll talk about. But yeah, so I, I'm just glad that you recognize what that was because I read that and I'm like, I know exactly what this is. The only mm-hmm. They only changed the words at the bottom where it says, I pledge my life to Jesus Christ and his church. Yeah. Instead and of like, it, It's the, to the watch. Yeah, right. To the night's watch. Which I, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> instead of getting into a whole different sort of uh podcast yeah hopefully a future one yeah uh, we're going to kind of stay on um for me i haven't intaken like a ton of media what i will say i have been intaking more specifically is podcasts because i've been traveling a lot so mm. i've been listening to a lot of the matt frad show the matt frad show or the pints with aquinas the matt frad show specifically okay yeah i've, I've listened to pints with aquinas I, I like pints with aquinas the matt frad show is really interesting it's, it's the interviews thing. yeah it's the interviews. so i was listening. they're long though they are but when you're driving from austin back to houston it's like the perfect amount of okay time yeah to that's fair that's fair uh so i listened to the episode with christopher west i haven't heard that one yet it was a really good episode um i i, I love matt because he's very intelligent he's willing to like push on issues which i think is great mm-hmm. but there was a lot of things in that podcast specifically which it's actually a youtube channel that they pull the audio the, from yeah and put it on a podcast right. there were a lot of things in there that um 
that really spoke deeply to me. And obviously, theology of the body is probably the one thing I enjoy talking about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the closest thing to my heart um, in general. And so it was very, very good. And there were some just really, really good quotes from that. And actually, some of it kind of, I thought of this book here. Um, and I knew that eventually we were going to have to get into it. I finally finished this book a while ago. Um, I don't know if I've been on the podcast since I've finished it. It's been a few weeks. I don't think so. But it's Brave New World. I know it's you Brave mentioned New World. that. Yeah. So, uh, so I have um, finished reading this book uh, probably almost a month ago now. It is a phenomenal book that was recommended to me based upon solely the fact that I like to talk about sort of sexual ethics um, yeah. and what we are made for and society. Uh, and I always like to, to pretend that, um, to quote Plato, I always like to think of myself as a Catholic gadfly because I don't really pose very many solutions, but I'm really, really good at critiquing the culture. Mm. <laughs> I'm really good at nipping it in the butt and being like, what we're doing isn't good. But I just pose more questions than answers i guess right <laughs> um, well i guess my answer would be jesus uh but this is very simple <laughs> the answer is always jesus right um so the brave uh brave new world is a book that clint hadn't read so i'm just gonna uh, a brief i'd never even heard of it until oh, really? until you well i might have heard of it but i had no idea what it was until you mm-hmm. told me like an hour ago wow yeah so it is a book uh from 1931 i believe by an author by the name of Aldous Huxley. Mm-hmm. And it's in the same sort of vein as like 1984. It's this dystopian future sort of book. Actually, I, this particular copy that I have here, the copy I have at home, not this particular one, has something called A Brave New World Revisited, which is less of the fiction and more of Aldous Huxley coming back years later and basically like paying homage to the fact that like 1984 was written. But being like, yeah, I think these things are good, but also I still think my society is the true future of uh, this dystopian future, and here's mm-hmm. why. Um, which I haven't had a chance to read that one yet, but um, I'll do time. I think it's kind of important that we know this written in the 1930s too. I mean, that's Great Depression, so they're already in mm-hmm. like kind of this yeah. really hard state in life, and kind of seeing what right. happens after like the glory days of like the roaring 20s where right like any sin you can think of is like celebrated right yeah. and, if I'm and not- so we see the fall right after that and so this idea of like dystopia coming about during that time frame i think is is pretty powerful because it would be very real for those people right and um aldous huxley was english um but they still yeah they were still impacted by the depression obviously. oh yeah it, it went it throughout the world line. but it, but it's interesting too because uh, being in 1932, he's writing about different sort of issues, whereas 1984 is coming in post-fascism mm-hmm. and post-communist Russia, Soviet Union, and so it's looking at these totalitarian states, and so that worldview is what's is what's happening, right? This is a very powerful um, state, okay. and that's what 1984 is about. Whereas Brave New World is actually looking at the state of um, common people's soul Mm. right i mean the the 20s was a time of excess and decadence Uh, you see that if you read f scott fitzgerald right this moral decay of society yeah and he's kind of extrapolating from that which i think you know yes we are (laughs) there are issues with the all-powerful state that um you can still look at to today uh like north korea 
um, things like that. But there is something to be said about this um, age of decadence. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he had mentioned, and, and this is kind of a side tangent, but he was mentioning that in every civilization, the last stage of civilization is this age of decadence. Hmm. Um, it's this golden age, right? There's all these things that lead up to this golden age of a society. Um, and that's like the pinnacle of any real civilization is this age of decadence, right? Um, followed by a collapse. Followed by a collapse. And the age of decadence the main focus becomes stability because mm. everything else is about growing to get to the point of the age of decadence and then they want stability over everything else because they want to stay at this age of decadence, right? In Brave New World, one of the world controllers, Mustafa Mond, mentions early in the book, he mentions that stability is the supreme virtue of society. That's... That's uh, interesting because the episode that Gordon and I did on the movie Big Fish, the musical, mm-hmm. we actually talked about how virtue is the opposite of stability. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not exactly like that, but basically what we said was a virtuous person needs to always be growing because mm-hmm. when we're stable, we actually start to recede. And it sounds like that's kind of the point you're trying to get to as mm-hmm. well, is that when we are only focused on stability we're actually going backwards yeah. and we have to continue like to pursue growth if we are to grow, not just as a society, but as, mm-hmm. as people. Absolutely. And, um, that is why brave new world is a dystopian novel and not a utopian novel. Right. Because you very clearly see the issues and the society has a rock solid ideal or not ideal. Um, like philosophy, like if what they believe is true is true, then everything they're doing is the right thing. Mm-hmm. But what you end up seeing with some of the characters is they realize that there's something missing. And I'm going to get into that. Uh, To just kind of preface it, one of the more interesting things with this society that is proposed here is they always say like Ford, like they use Ford like we use God. Like, oh, Ford or like... Ford? Ford. Like Uh, Ford truck? Like Ford truck because Ford created the assembly line. Oh, okay. Got you. And so they actually, it mentions it in the book um, where they cut off the tops of crosses and all of a sudden it's a T for the Model T car. Interesting. Which would have been, this was full swing back in that time. So Yeah. And so the, the thing that Aldous Huxley sees and it is really the premise of society is like a more sterile society. Um, not necessarily everyone is sterile. If you're not sterile, then you take this cocktail of basically chemicals. It's essentially birth control. And you take birth control so that you don't get pregnant. Um, And then some of the women are sterilized. They take, but the the women that aren't sterilized because they take their embryos out of them. Like they take this birth control, but they take their embryos and then they artificially inseminate and basically create people on assembly lines. Wow. And that's like the society. And the reason they do that is out of stability because they inject different chemicals into different people. So they nurture, uh, there are different castes, um, and to kind of quote here, uh, so at the, sort of the bottom, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up right here on my phone just so I don't end up missing anything, but I believe I have it memorized. But at the very top, you have the alphas. Um, and the alphas are the ones who run the plants, 
They are the, well, at the very, very top, you have the world controllers. There's only a handful of them. Okay. And then you have the alphas, and they're all, they're all alphas. It's not like world controllers are like a different cast, but, but they, they definitely have like a different sort of thing. So, uh, you have alphas, and they are at the top. Uh, they're intellectually superior. They are sort of the leaders and the thinkers. They are the ones who kind of run the factories, run, they're the ones who do the, um, the brainwashing of the children. But this is decided as infants or? Yeah, before you're even born, no, as an embryo. Okay. So how do they, they know who the intelligent ones are? Just who's educated? Yeah. So in a lot of times they take it and, and they breed two alpha embryos. Gotcha. They put them together. Okay. Um, but when they're doing all of this, then they, they really don't take any, I don't think any other embryos other than maybe alphas or betas. Um, I don't remember entirely, but uh, they do that. And then they have this whole principle where they split embryos. And out of like one embryo, they just like make a bunch of twins. And that's what they use for like the um, deltas and epsilons and things at the bottom of society. And so you have, and they wear different colors and they are brainwashed from the time they're young. They constantly repeat different things and say different things. and Different mantras. Different mantras to have different beliefs. Um, and so like the alphas wear gray and they like the color gray and they don't necessarily dislike the color of like mulberry, which is like what the betas wear, but oh, but khakis of the deltas look terrible. And like they train the, the, the deltas to be like, oh, I would never want to be anything but a delta or an epsilon. I would never want to be anything but an epsilon, mm-hmm. right? And as an alpha, I don't want to be anything but an alpha, right? And so you just get stuck in there. But here's a, a good thing. So they are, um, they're, the, the opening chapter, they're, they're touring one of these factories. And what they do is they'll like give oxygen shortages or add alcohol to the embryo or something to, to stunt growth. So they're smaller and less intelligent. And so hasn't it occurred to you, uh, the director said the director, break, uh, breaking a long silence, hasn't it occurred to you that an epsilon embryo must have an epsilon environment as well as an epsilon heredity? Right, and so it's talking about instead of just having two epsilon embryos, you also need. So I, I was wrong about that. You also need to have different things injected to make sure that they don't thrive. Right. Right. The brainwash. Um, well, not even just that, but just like the the uh, oxygen, right? The shorter oxygen affects the brain, so they don't become as intelligent. Uh, because quote here, uh, but in epsilons, said Mr. Fo- Mr. Foster very justly, we don't need human intelligence. Right, because the epsilons are the bottom of society. They're the ones who clean up the trash. They're the ones who clean. Um, they're like the the gutters and, and dealing with human waste and things like that. And this is at the start of the book, still, right? The very start of the book. Okay. Uh, very interesting. I was on page fifteen of this book. Okay. So we're already getting this idea of like mm-hmm. the the higher class is mm-hmm. playing the lower class and mm-hmm. like trying to. Okay. Yeah. And so you have the alphas. Uh, then you have the betas who are intelligent, but they uh, are working in places with like high technical skills. So they're more um, like secretaries, things like that. Uh, so they don't need like as high a, rat, a high a thinking as like the alphas because they're not thinking uh, of different ways or like doing the science, but they, but they need to be somewhat intelligent. And then you have the gammas. Um, they're in more like service roles. Uh, then you have, or no, I'm sorry. Um, the, the deltas are the people or betas are the people who are going to be working in the factories. The, the gammas I think are more the secretaries. The deltas are, um, they're actually pro reprogrammed to dislike books and flowers and they're like the, the builders. And so they have trained people and they mentioned this in the early of the book 
to where they don't like to go outside to like see beauty. Like they're trained to not want to seek this beauty. Interesting. Um, and then you have like the epsilons at the very bottom. And they're trained to not like this beauty, but they're trained, they're trained to love these different games. And the games that they've built are elaborate. And Mustafa Mond, the world controller that we meet in the book, talks about how there used to be things that were simple. Think like baseball, which is like a stick and a ball, or like soccer, which is just kicking a ball around a field, mm -hmm. right? And there were simple games with rules, simple rules, but that's bad for capitalism. So they create these really elaborate games that have a lot of parts that don't need to be replaced. And that drives society forward. Interesting. And so um, they have all these like made up games because that's what you do. You yeah. play these made up yeah. games um, that are elaborate and they drive society forward. So that's kind of the, the world set stage. Okay. Of Brave New World. So it's very consumeristic in that way. And, and it it removes the idea of the individual. Like everyone has their place and they like where they're at and they all are there for the sake of stability. Does it ever say like why it's called Brave New World? Yes. Okay. Actually. Good. Yeah. Good. You don't, yeah. Have to, you don't have to tell me now because it's probably a surprise. But Yeah. So essentially you meet all of these different characters. And, and, and one of the things too, uh, and obviously for a little preface that some of the topics of this particular podcast are not for young children. Yeah. I should have said that at the beginning. Well, up okay. until this point, you've been fine. But yeah. uh, a few things that might come up uh, yeah. are probably not for youth. So if you have this on in the car with your kids, maybe pause it, listen to the rest of it later or something like that. Yeah. Uh, because some of the things, one of the things in the book is from a very young age, they introduce children young children to pornography mm -hmm. and they encourage what they call uh, sexual experimentation. Um, so they basically encourage children to like do these sorts of things with each other because that's what the society does. Not unlike our own society right Absolutely. now actually, because yeah. um, I was actually having a conversation about this yesterday, mm -hmm. but the average age of exposure to hardcore pornography right now is eight. So that's mm. hardcore pornography. Yeah. So uh, imagine any, mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. you can imagine any, right. any youth with a, with a cell phone right now or access to a yeah. cell phone has probably seen it on purpose or on, yeah. on accident. And that's, and that's one of the things that I was going to bring up. Now, I had heard 12, but that was probably three or four years ago. Yeah, so it so might be. I was told eight down. Yeah. by which, a researcher. Which makes, which makes sense because uh, it's becoming earlier and earlier, which is why they're teaching health classes to students in middle school because you're being exposed to this stuff. But yeah, it, it's very much like our society. When I read that, it's a disgusting statistic, but being from ministry and knowing that it was that young anyway, I'm like, this isn't very far from where we are. Yeah. It's not far. I mean, gosh, the first time, the age that I was first exposed was probably like 10 or 11. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, in, I think I knew about it by yeah. kindergarten. Yeah. I don't think I'd been exposed to it at that time. Yeah. But oh, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had known about it by five years old. Yeah, I had I had a friend uh, in kindergarten who came up to me and was like, I know where babies come from. And he like told me things and like, but yeah, I, I had learned about these things and I was exposed from a very young age, mm -hmm. you know? And that was pre-cell phones. Yeah. Uh, and so the thing with this book that I think is so scathing is because, yeah, bar, because the one thing that Aldous Huxley didn't foresee is that there wasn't a need for the, the epsilons or the deltas. 
right? For those lower intelligence people, because we live in a world of, of robotics now, right? We can automate processes. Mm-hmm. And so now in our society, we just abort them. Right. Right. They don't have a use anymore. At least in Aldous Huxley's society, those people of low intelligence would put the menial tasks, but we don't need them for those manual labor anymore. So we no longer see a view of them, right? That's why, um, to get really into it, that's why, like in New York and Virginia, they talk, and the abortion industry talks about viability because he looks at these people with disabilities and says they don't, they're not going to have a viable life because they're not going to be productive for society. And you're making a judgment call on whether or not that person's dignity because our dignity, society tells us, is based on whether or not we're productive, not because we're human beings innately. Right. It's like super utilitarian, right? Yeah, it's, absolutely. You, your value only comes in what you can provide mm-hmm. for, for others, right? So you are just an object of right. pr- provision mm-hmm. rather than a being with dignity. Right. And that's ultimately what this whole conversation in, in the book and mm-hmm. that we're having now in our government and in our lives is coming down to yeah are these people or are they tools right and that's really what this debate is and so yeah we don't need epsilons anymore we can have a world of alphas betas uh deltas and maybe maybe gammas right like the 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 you know the people who do um your plumbing or something like that right not that plumbers are that's not not not, i mean as a plumber you probably make more than most but like according to this worldview but according to this worldview yeah like right this like um the menial labor the builders the the people who work with their hands right and so those jobs are still needed if anything you might keep those and and cut out even like the secretarial works a lot of that can be automated with computers right but there's not this need for this strict caste system which is really interesting because most often mond is talking and he's actually talking about how disgusting families are right because they don't have families in this world it's like a modern day take on the republic Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no families, and so they're talking about. Um, okay, so actually, um, this 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 is going to take me off. Well, but before you go mm-hmm. go into that, I, I think that's really telling too, because mm-hmm. from the very beginning, the church has said that the the family is the the building block of not just the church, but of all society. Mm-hmm. And so when the family is torn apart or disintegrated or disvalued the entire society suffers because of it. And, and we're seeing that nowadays too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a character named Bernard who uh, at the very beginning of the book kind of is one who he's kind of small for an alpha, very intelligent, but he's kind of small. So they say uh, maybe some alcohol got in his, his um, pseudoscience, but maybe some alcohol got into his like embryo by accident. So that makes him smaller. He's still intelligent, but he's a little bit smaller. And he it must this, be rough being small. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because the, the alphas are bigger. So people look at him differently, right? He's the size of like a delta. Right. And, but he's like, so he sits there. Small and, people are good, Steve. All uh, right. Yeah. So right here, Henry Foster <laughs> patted the assistant predestiner on the shoulder. Everyone belongs to everyone else after all. One, and then this is the response, 100 repetitions, three nights a week for four years, thought Bernard Marx. Who is a specialist on hypnopedia? Sixty-two thousand four hundred repetitions make one truth: idiots. Right, because for four years, three times a night for four years, they would hear the phrase "everyone belongs to everyone else" after all, mm. and so that's why they say this. And Bernard is as one of the people who is in charge of hypnotizing and, and um, brainwashing people. He's like, 
all of these repetitions make it true, but it doesn't mean it's innately true because he's really, really frustrated because he's in love with this character. And there's like one part in the book and I, I'm not gonna try to dig through it to find it. because There's several parts that he mentions it, but he hates all of it that's going on. Everyone sort of belongs to everyone else. And that means like sexually, right? Like there's no relationships. Like everyone just sleeps around with whomever. Okay. That's what they're trained to do, right? There's a sex without consequences is the largest thing because that's what makes people happy. Sex without consequences. And so there's an abortion clinic on every that's corner. Sarcasm, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But that's like what they're saying. That's what they're teaching. That's what they're, they're talking about. Is it within their, their classes or just anywhere? Uh, for the most part, okay. yeah. Um, alphas and betas will sleep with each other. But an alpha would never sleep with a delta. Okay. And so he's talking about how they're treating Lenina because all these guys, right? Henry Foster said everyone belongs to everyone else because he's talking. So Bernard is really, really into her. And he sits there and he mentions that they treat her like a piece of meat. And the worst part is she doesn't even care. She wants to be treated like a piece of meat. Yeah. And that's like the society. And I read that and I thought, gosh, at least, like Bernard's recognizing like there's something problematic to that worldview, right? Mm-hmm. That like people aren't something to just be used for our own pleasure. There's something innately wrong with using other as a means to an end instead of an end in themselves. Um, well, and I think yeah. this is another thing that comes down to what we see today, you mm-hmm. know, like how real is this? And, um, oh my goodness, what was the, uh, the Vatican document that predicted, um, Humanity Vitae. Yeah. Humanity Vitae mm-hmm. predicted that all of this would happen back right. in like the fifties, uh, with the, the introduction of, uh, birth, birth, birth control. Yeah. 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 And it, it has happened with the taking out the reproductive part of, of sexuality, mm-hmm. what's left is just this use. Like you, you see mm-hmm. the other person as just an object right. for your own desire. But I think trying to find the good in all of these things, mm-hmm. like if we look at all of these things that they're doing, it, it all comes down to like a desire to be loved. Right. Actually, I was going to get to that. Oh, because sorry. that's actually a central theme. Yeah. That I don't, that I don't want to get to. I'm, I'm really laying the groundwork and I'm hoping that our listeners are listening to this and they're picking up wow, this sounds like our society today. It does. Because like, it sounds so much like where we're at. Um, but you're absolutely right, and that is something I mention all the time when we talk about, because I, obviously I work in the pro-life movement, and abortion and euthanasia are obviously a huge issue that we're fighting, and it is the front lines of the battle that we're fighting, but there's an underlying root. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to talk about it yet, but contraceptives, because that all grew from that. Once you make the claim, once you remove human dignity from that act, and you create a world where you want sex without consequences, the rest of that follows. Mm-hmm. But more so than that, when you get to the point where you can look at another human person as something other than another human person with dignity as an end in themselves, and instead look at them as a means to something like your own pleasure or their um, usefulness to society, then you can make all of these claims about viability, about whether or not somebody should be allowed to live, something that... um. Stephanie Gray, who's a pro-life apologist that I, I had met a couple weeks ago, had mentioned when we're talking about assisted suicide, is there, she told a story of this man who was on a bridge and this police officer like talked to him and got him off the bridge, mm-hmm. right? And most people would look at that and say he did the right thing. That's a hero. Right? He's a hero. He saved a man's life, right? Um, but if you have like an 80-year-old grandmother who has cancer and wants assisted suicide, 
we're like, okay, well, it's the right thing to do. And so, oh, well, when do you decide somebody needs, like, when do you decide somebody needs assisted suicide or when do you decide that somebody needs, like, suicide prevention? And the, and the answer is, oh, people are like, oh, they choose it. Well, that person on the bridge was choosing was to choosing die. It too. Yeah. It, it doesn't come down to whether or not that person wants it. It's whether or not it becomes a judgment call on us, whether or not we judge their life to be worth living. Right. And the judge for that is, are they mm-hmm. providing, are, are, are they mm-hmm. capable of providing more than they use mm-hmm. as far as resources and like right. time, yeah. whatever. Whereas elderly people, if they're retired, a lot of people view them now as just using resources and mm-hmm. they're just a, a leech on society, yeah. which is awful. I mean, if we look at other civilizations, like when that happens, mm-hmm. like that's kind of the, the downfall in a lot of places, yeah. you know? But this is, this is the argument that we're fighting, this utilitarian oh, argument, yeah. Yeah, um, this yeah. argument that people don't have innate dignity. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit because there's something interesting when um, there's something interesting when Mustafa Mond is talking to these students, um, these people in the factory, and he mentions uh, different sort of governmental structures. Right? Uh, he was like, you know, he's talking about like how crazy the world used to be, uh, how sleep teaching was actually prohibited in England. There was something called liberalism. Parliament, if you know what that was, passed a law against it. The records survive. Speeches about liberty of the subject, liberty to be inefficient and miserable, freedom to be a round peg in a square hole. Um, And then he sits there and he says, or the caste system, constantly proposed, constantly rejected. There was something called democracy, as though men were more than physiochemically equal. Mm. Which is ironic. Uh, because they're claiming equality and yet mm-hmm. they have this caste system that mm-hmm. is clearly not right. equal. And, and that's the thing is he's like, is if they're more than physiochemically equal, like that people are innately unequal because some people can provide more to society. And so what is it that's more important? Well, you have more to offer society than this person. And, and they don't say that. They, they brainwash you. To believe that everyone plays their part and society runs because mm-hmm. everyone plays their part. And that's actually probably what they believe. But they're going to tell the alphas that you're more important. And the epsilons look up to the alphas as almost gods, right? They're these monsters among men because they're so tall and like imposing. But this, this line here, liberty to be inefficient and miserable, freedom to be a round peg in a square hole, right? That if you don't fit into society, like that there used to be this crazy concept, sarcasm. There used to be this crazy concept that you could be an individual, and I think that that is the nature of sin. That the saints are uniquely individual people. And, the, and God all calls us to holiness. This is true. The universal call to holiness is a thing. But the way in which he calls us there is unique to each individual throughout history. Mm-hmm. I am not called to the same thing that you were called to. I'm not called to the same thing that Gordon is called to or anyone else. Right? We are called to each unique and individual things. And so we are actually called by God to be individuals, a part of one body, instead of all one part playing the same role. To hear more about that, check out the song, The Saint That Is Just Me by Danielle Rose. Yeah. It's an awesome song. talks about that. Yeah. And so throughout the book, a, a lot of things happen. And you, you, you meet this character named Helmholtz, who also recognizes that something is amiss. He's missing something okay. innately. And throughout the entire book, Bernard recognizes that something is missing, but he can't put his finger on it. And 
Helmholtz, is, he, he even mentions that there's something, but because he, he's a, he's one of the guys who writes, um, and like the, the feel these, like the movies basically, which you can also feel what's happening, um, are essentially just pornography. Everything is just pornography mm-hmm. and sex. And there's a chemical called Soma, which is basically they've experimented with drugs to such a point where they can just inject you straight with dopamine and all the other chemicals in your brain. And so like, if you're ever feeling sad or down or anything, you just take Soma mm. and that's it. No longer have to worry about it. Um, you are forever just doped up. So, and, and Soma is so dangerous and in our world, I think, yeah. And I think our world looks at this, right? And, and, and I think this is a debate for another time, but you know, when you talk about like all this legalization of marijuana, um, I was just talking to, uh, it's funny, I was actually talking to Stephanie Gray about this because we kind of got into this topic mm-hmm. um, at that conference that I was at. And there is a, uh, there was a guy who did an argument and it was about rethinking the way we look at addiction. And I understand people were like, marijuana isn't necessarily addictive, but drugs is definitely a problem in our world, right? And we're like, oh yeah, marijuana was a gateway drug. And so whatever, I, that's a different topic. But right. what I will say is the way in which we view drugs and the way in which we view addiction. This guy put opioids, right? Because basically opioids are very, very addictive, right? Heroin is incredibly addictive. Why is it that grandma, when she's put on opioids, isn't a junkie when she comes out of the hospital? There are certainly people who... Small portions? I don't know. Well, sometimes it's it's pretty heavy doses. No, Um, I don't know. But yeah, and and there's slightly different chemical components to them. But for the most part, they're opioids. And people get, and you can make the claim like, oh, it's a different type of opioid. But people get addicted to them all the time in the hospital. Yeah. Right? People do. Doctors teach me. Right? But what is it that's actually going on? And so this guy decided to do an experiment. We put rats in a cage. And he had one bottle that was water and one bottle that was water laced with opioids. And the rats went and killed themselves drinking the opioid water. They, they literally doped themselves to death. He put those, not those exact same rats, but he put the same rats in a cage with other rats with like a bunch of like running wheels and toys. And he put the same bottles of water. And what he noticed is they drank out of the regular water and every now and again went to the, the drugged water. Hmm. And so he ran some more uh, psychological experiments. And what he realized is why is it that Narcotics Anonymous and now Alcoholics Anonymous are so effective because addiction isn't necessarily rooted in the physiologic, like the chemical, like the physiological um, and psychological dependencies. Of Although course, that's that part is of it. true. Right. And that exists. But why do we become a dependent? Because we're made for community. We're lonely. Yeah. And we're made for love. And when we feel like we don't have anyone else, we use drugs as a coping mechanism or our friends and the people we love use drugs. And so we use them to be like that. Do you and know Father Sean Kilcally? <laughs> So he's a, a speaker on like uh, pornography and, and masturbation mostly, mm. and uh, he he was giving a talk to a lot of the youth ministers mm-hmm. here last year, and he talked about how most of addictions to those I- issues come down to like a lack of community, mm-hmm. and so like one of the things that he brought up is if you make a a phone call, at least one phone call, like decent length every single day to someone and just talk. Those like desires for those addictions will just not always disappear, but like significantly decrease, oh, right? Because yeah. you have that community, you have yeah. that sense of relationship. Well, that's very true. Uh, and there's something about 
obviously Satan that wants to divide us and make us feel alone. And that's yeah. how he attacks us. Right. Um, and especially with something like pornography and masturbation, that is really something that is, especially for men, a gift to be given out right, right. to your spouse yeah. that gets turned inward to yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's actually made for innately something communal. Mm-hmm. And we are turning it into something Separate. inward and selfish and, yeah. and, and, and just for ourselves and disconnected from others. And so Soma, this like use of Soma really looks like our use of drugs because people in the society are never alone because everyone belongs to everyone. You just sleep around with whomever. However, you are incredibly, incredibly lonely because there's no love in the society. And people don't really recognize this. About midway through the book, you meet the most compelling character named John, and he's named he's called the Savage. Hmm. And he's called the Savage because there's something called a savage reservation. If you don't want to live in society, you don't have to. You can live on the savage reservation. This sounds a lot like the episode we did on uh, Pocahontas when we were talking about like mm-hmm. the separation like of the mm-hmm. other yeah. and then the savages. Mm-hmm. And so you have this savage reservation. Because one of the things, too, is they, they give you these drug cocktails. So you could be 60 and you look 20. But the life expectancy is only 60. Like you're pumped for these chemicals. You look young forever and then you just die. Mm. Right? Which is interesting. But no one has to face death because like it's just something that happens. Right? But but um, but you don't – but like it's very death-defying. So if you see someone who's – there's no illness. There's no sickness. There's no getting old. And so they go to the Savage Reservation and they see old people. Lenina is completely shocked and Bernard is just like, well – of course, like, you know, we pump people full of chemicals. So, if, But, like, of course, we're not used to seeing this. But this is what the world would look like. This, And, he, you know, they look at this man who had to be 80. And he's like, yeah, like, he's 80 and this is what age looks like. And we pump ourselves full of chemicals in the civilized world. So we would never look like this. Plus, we would never have to live this old because we all die by 60. Mm-hmm. Right? Basically, like, euthanized. Which, you well, not necessarily. But... In, but I'm pretty sure it is part of the society for like that's your that's your thing like once you hit that age it's beneficial for you for to society to euthanize yourself well, it makes sense based off what we were talking about before too mm-hmm. yeah like you just you're, you're too old you know you've, you've you've used the chemicals too long you've existed long enough you've done your part for society it's time to do your part for society and die right but that's where religion is and the religion is kind of like a mix of christianity and other religions but there is something that like, they suffer like they intentionally suffer they take suffering upon themselves a lot this is inside the savage inside right? the savage okay religion. they gotcha. take on these sufferings and it's painted as a bleak view because aldous huxley himself had had, had interesting views but uh, you meet john who's actually a part of the savage reserve but his mother um was somebody who who fell down a ravine when I'm one of these other guys, like Bernard, like when Bernard and Lenina come, she, it'd be like if Lenina fell down a ravine after Bernard had accidentally impregnated her. And she was talking about how she used the birth control. And so it was amazing that she got pregnant, which is, but she's like, but it's not like the civilized world where there's an abortion clinic on every corner. What was I to do but have this child? And so she raised her child in the reserve and she's old and it freaks out the characters from the civilized world because yeah they're seeing the savages who are people of darker skin they look different than your caucasian people in england which is where the book is set mm-hmm. but here they are looking at an english woman who was born in a civilized world and she's old and she's fat and she doesn't look pretty 
and they don't know what to do with it, hmm. right? And so they end up um, having really interesting conversations with the savage because the savage reads Shakespeare. Right. And so he quotes Shakespeare because his mother would always talk about the other place. And she would talk about how great it was in the civilized world and how wonderful it is and all these other things. And he, and so Bernard writes and gets permission to bring him back to the civilized world because he is not a savage like ethnicity. So they're interested to see him, right? Because he's this unique thing. He's a, he's a mix. He's a civilized person that was born and raised in the savage reserve. Yeah. And so they bring him back and he says, oh, brave new world, quoting Shakespeare. Because he's ah. excited to see the other world, this perfect place where nobody is miserable. Oh, brave new world. And he gets there and he's put on display and people ask him questions. And Bernard, who you want to like to this point, well, you kind of start to get annoyed with him a little early in the book. The power goes straight to his head. And he just becomes the people he was critiquing. And he sleeps with all these women. And he does all these drugs. And he's super happy because he has power. And it goes right to his head. And you realize that he's an incredibly broken person himself. Mm -hmm. And that he knew something was missing, but he, he, he just wanted to fit in, really. Helmholtz feels pity for him. Because Helmholtz is the opposite. He feels he's intellectually different like Bernard. He's like more intelligent. He's like really intelligent. But he's like muscular and he looks like an alpha. He is an alpha. But he looks like the part. And so he can have anyone he wants, but he doesn't want them. Mm -hmm. Because he wants to focus on something else, but he doesn't know what it is. And so Bernard can't recognize this as love. Helmholtz maybe could if he knew what he was looking for. And so Helmholtz meets this savage. And the savage begins to like He's like, um, Helmholtz is like, here, let me read you something. And he tries to read him poetry, but it's written in a way that like people from that world would recognize. And he's like, let me read you something. And he tries to read from Romeo and Juliet and it's a beautiful passage. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. And then it gets to like the lovey-dovey parts and he starts laughing because he can't. It makes him uncomfortable. Because he doesn't know. He's like, I, I could never, he's like, I could never write something like that. Like who talks about like belonging to one person? That's absolutely absurd. Mm -hmm. Right? But the savage is like, there's something missing from your society. So the most compelling part of the book is toward the end. And so I just want to kind of get through this because there's, there's a lot going yeah. on and then yeah, I want to break it down. So this is unfortunately going to be a really long episode for our listeners, but there's so much going on in this book that I want to touch on. Um, so they finally get called up um, after some time, after the savage basically goes um, and, and starts getting a little violent. And so they, they get taken up to uh, the world controller, Mustafa Mond, the uh, resident world controller for Western Europe, walks into the room. And so the first thing he says is, so you don't much like civilization, Mr. Savage. And he just replies, no. You know, and he says, there are nice things, like all the music in the air, for instance. And then Mustafa Mond quotes Shakespeare to him because Mustafa Mond owns all of that. Mm. And he's read all of Shakespeare and he's read the Bible and he's read all of these things that are banned from society and the savage is like i thought that, that didn't exist and he's like well almost nobody i'm one of the few it's prohibited you see but i make the laws here i can also break them with impunity mr marx who's bernard marx um which i'm afraid you can't do because bernard is breaking 
thing. Right. And so basically, um, uh, so they're talking of it. So he basically, they're having this conversation and he's like, the savage is like, but why is it prohibited in the excitement of meeting a man who has read Shakespeare? He had momentarily forgotten everything else. The controller shrugged his shoulders because it's old. That's the chief reason. We haven't any use for old things here. Hmm. Even when they're beautiful, particularly when they're beautiful, beauty is attractive, and we don't want people to be attracted by old things. We want them to like the new things. But the new ones are stupid and horrible. Those plays where there's nothing but helicopters flying about and you feel the people kissing. Goats and monkeys. Only in Othello's words he could find an adequate vehicle for his contempt and hatred. Nice, tame animals, anyhow, the controller murmured parenthetically. Why don't you let them see Othello instead? I've told you, it's old. Besides, they couldn't understand it. Yes, that was true. He remembered how Helmholtz had laughed at Romeo and Juliet. And then Helmholtz like, that's what I've been wanting to write. And he's like, uh, and it's why you never will write. Because if it really were like Othello, nobody could understand it. Whoever knew it might be. And if it were new, it couldn't possibly be like Othello. They've like, because they're brainwashing people and people just don't have an understanding. The society is so different. Right. And so, I mean, it's this idea of like getting rid of our heritage, getting rid of our tradition, Mm -hmm. um, which is, it's deadly, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When we Mm -hmm. forget where we've come from and, and the lessons that have been learned before us, we are forced into this new world, if you will, blind, right? And so we try reinventing things that have already been discovered only to realize that yeah. uh, we're making the same mistakes. You know, it's the whole, uh, we learn about war so that we don't end up making those same mistakes again, Yeah, which and, a lot of times we do, but right. it, it's the same thing. And that's, why we have tradition in, in the church, mm-hmm. you know? So we have this thing that we can look back to. And so we know where we've come from. We know we can trace our, our heritage back to Christ himself. Yeah. And, and so I, I want to get into this because this is a big meat and then it's going to get into a big discussion, I feel. Um, so they're talking about all this. And he's like, why can't we have Othello? And the world controller says, because our world is not the same as Othello's world. You can't make flivers without steel, and you can't make tragedies without social instability. The world's stable now. People are happy, they get what they want, and they never want what they can't get. Hmm. They're well off, they're safe, they're never ill, they're not afraid of death, they're blissfully ignorant of passion in old age. They're plagued with no mothers or fathers, they've got no wives or children or lovers to feel strongly about. They're so conditioned that they practically can't behave can't help behaving as they ought to behave. And if anything should go wrong, there's Soma, which is the drug. Which you go and chuck out the window in the name of liberty, Mr. Savage? Liberty. Expect, he laughed, expecting deltas to know what liberty is, and now expecting them to understand Othello, my good boy. The savage was silent for a little bit. All the same, he insisted obstinately, Othello's good. Othello's better, better than those feelies. Of course it is, the controller agreed. But that's the price we have to pay for stability. You've got to choose between happiness 
in what people used to call high art. We've sacrificed the hall art. We have the feelies and the scent organ instead. But they don't mean anything. They mean themselves. They mean a lot of agreeable sense, uh, sensations to the audience. But they're, they're told by an idiot. <laughs> right? And so, um, and, but that's like Mr. Watson, Helmholtz. He's like, you're not being very polite to him. And he's like, but he's true. Like, um, he's like, because it is idiotic. Writing when there's nothing to say. Mm. And so it gets into this other thing. And, and, and Linda ended up just dr- taking Soma to the point where she killed herself. Like she let herself die. She um, expedited her death. In the same way that, unfortunately, um, a lot of times palliative care, palliative care is a good thing. Um, but sometimes when people talk about palliative care, what they mean is doping you with morphine to expedite your death, which is not a good thing. Right. Um, and so you have to be careful what you're talking about when you talk about those things. But they all talk about happiness in society. And um, there's one part where he is talking about specifically science right here. Because uh, they're talking about all of this. And he says, yes, Mustafa Mond was saying, that's another item in the cost of stability. It isn't only art that's incompatible with happiness. It's also science. Science is dangerous. We have to keep it carefully chained and muzzled. There's a point earlier in the book where he's reading a scientific article and he's like, ah, like it affirms that humans have dignity separate from what we tell them. So I have to, he throws it out. He says, ah, which is a shame because it was a brilliant piece of science. But you see that in the pro-life movement, right? This argument that it's not a person. Science has, has shown at this point, we've gotten to the point, Roe v. Wade was created in a time before sonograms existed. Mm-hmm. At this point in our society, at this point in science, you cannot de- deny that at contraception, it's a unique human being with its own genetic code, fulfilling all of the requirements of life. It's taking in energy, it's replicating, it's... Yeah, I mean, someone even mentioned today the whole, uh, if we look at... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, a different planet and we find a bacteria that's a single cell we consider that life and Mm -hmm. yet Mm -hmm. this human being inside the womb we do not consider but but you see that in brave new world right there's a precedent for it sometimes science doesn't fit the narrative we want to tell and it's this idea that like we're not really looking for truth we're looking for something to support our claim and i think that happens a lot nowadays um especially when we kind of divide ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'll, I'll use the political example because that's so easy. So we have the, the left and the right. Okay, And yeah. you, if you're part of the right, then you have to believe everything that the right believes. If you're part of the left, you have to believe everything the left believes. And everything that we talk about has to support only what those things are that we claim to believe. Mm-hmm. And we can't accept any truth that doesn't lie within that. So rather than being open to what is true we're only open to what yeah validates our perception of truth mm-hmm. and i think that's really unfortunate yeah yeah in in um i'm actually going to get into something really interesting with that in the, in this next chapter it's a very hedonistic society right and and that's the the main thing right to be happy to be stable that's all people care about but they're missing out on what beauty is and that there is a beauty sometimes, what he's talking about with high art or, or any of these other things, there's a beauty in not having to deal with that. And that really gets taken, um, and it's actually interesting because he sends them to islands, 
Um, and he basically says, like, it's so glad that you guys have islands. Like, you should be glad that we have so many islands on this planet. Otherwise, we probably have to kill people like all of you. Mm-hmm. But now we can send you to islands. And Bernard, like, but before this, he mentions he's going to be sent to an island. And Bernard basically did everything to avoid being sent to an island. That's, like, the premise of the book. That's why he brought the savage. That's why he tried to get all this power. And he faints, and he, or he gets, like, taken to another room. And he's, like, he's such a short-sighted guy. If he had any intelligence, or like if he you know was able to look past it, he would realize that the islands are filled with the most interesting people because there are people like them that realize there's something wrong with society. Right. And Mustafa Mond was one of those people, but was given the option of becoming a world controller, going to school and realizing and giving up his own happiness for the sake of the world, hmm. uh, for the world's happiness in the world. And so it's really interesting juxtaposition. At the very end of The Savage, and this is the last part, and then I want to kind of wrap it up, but... The last chapter is the savage and the world controller talking um, without anyone else. Okay. And it's two people who understand. Because like Helmholtz can't understand Romeo and Juliet or Othello. Right. But the world controller can. Yeah. And so, art, science, you seem to have paid a fairly high price for your happiness. Anything else? Well, religion, of course, replied the controller. There used to be something called God before the Nine Years' War. But I was forgetting. You know all about God, I suppose. Well, the savage hesitated. He would have liked to say something about solitude, about night, about the mesa lying under the pale moon, about the the plunge into the shadowy darkness, about death. He would have liked to speak, but there were no words, not even in Shakespeare. Mm. Um, where he can't, he doesn't have words to talk about God, right? It's just these flashes of experiences he's had. It's a subject, the world controller says, um, that has had a has always had a great interest for me. You've never read this, for example. He took it out. The Holy Bible containing the Old and New Testaments. Um, nor this, the imitation of Christ. Thomas Kempis. Nor this, the varieties of religious experience. And I've got plenty more. A whole collection of pornographic old books. God is safe in the uh, is in the safe and Ford on the shelves. Right? That like God has been replaced with this consumerism, this capitalism, right. and pornography mm-hmm. in this world. Um, and he sits there. He's acknowledging that too. Yeah, he's, oh, completely, he's admitting it. Completely admitting it. Um, and he says, "If you know about God, why don't you tell them?" Asked the savage indignantly. "Why don't you give them the books about God?" For the same reason we don't give them Othello. They're old. They're about God hundreds of years ago. Not about God now, but God doesn't change. Men do, though. What difference does that make? All the difference in the world. And and they have this just incredible conversation where basically Mustafa Mond admits that they've just cast God out Mm. of society because men didn't want him. And they just made God who they wanted him to be. Right? Well, not quite so many words, but you see that in this, right? God doesn't change, but men do. Right. Um, and I, and I, I often wonder, when we talk about God, like, are we worshiping him or are we worshiping ourselves? Like, when does it become us changing who we are because that's who God is? And then when are we just saying, well, this is who I want God to be because it, it affirms what I want to do and believe? Yeah. And so they talk about all these things. And like, if you had God, you would have a reason for chastity. 
right? And you're like, but God's the reason for everything noble and fine and heroic. My dear friend, civilization has absolutely no need of nobility or heroism. Those are symptoms of political inefficiency. In a properly organized society like ours, nobody has any opportunities to be noble or heroic. And so, and actually it's so interesting because in here, oh, this, this line here, and there's always so much to calm your anger, to reconcile you to your enemies, to make you patient and long-suffering. In the past, you could only accomplish these things by making a great effort and after years of hard moral training. Now you swallow, swallow two or three half-gram tablets, and there you are. Anyone can be virtuous now. You can carry at least half your morality around in a bottle. Christianity without tears, that's what Soma is. This drug. This idea of virtue is just something where you're mm -hmm. complacent and yeah. just like neutral rather than actually being virtuous I, yeah. think, I think it takes away takes virtue out of the virtue if that even makes sense mm -hmm. virtue being like this uh, repeated behavior right of good behavior right yeah rather than just a feeling of peace or calm or complacency yeah absolutely um, and they're, they're talking and so they're, they're talking about all these other things um, and he's talking about how like you can have all of this stuff this feelings so there's something that they keep talking about throughout the book but you don't know what it is it's called the uh, VPS and, and um, that's why we've made the VPS treatments compulsory VPS violent passion surrogate regularly once a month we flood the whole system with adrenaline it's the complete physiological equivalent of fear and rage all the tonic effects of murdering Destamanda and being murdered by Othello without any of the inconveniences. But I like the inconveniences. We don't. We prefer to do things comfortably. Hmm. But I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. The world promises you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. John Paul II. Absolutely. And so that is that book. And so there's so, 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 so much in here. And, but, and actually, uh, you'll be putting out a blog, hopefully pretty soon, mm -hmm. with more... Probably before this podcast even comes out. Yeah, so more stuff with this. So go check out the blog on our website, too, and you can find mm -hmm. out uh, kind of Steve's take on this book and the, the pro-life pro movement and things happening in New York and Virginia mm -hmm. and just kind of all that stuff going on right now. So there's a lot yeah. more to it. So go check that out on our website too. Right. And so what I, what I want to talk about really quickly is Mustafa Mon recognizes there are actually things higher. There are higher virtues than happiness. Mm -hmm. That even he recognizes there is more beauty in the world than just seeking the pleasures of the world. Right. And we live in a world today where so often we're driven by hedonism, right? Hedonism is in our face, right? This idea of, well, like pleasure, good, suffering, bad. And this book shows us, because the one thing that no one ever seems to be able to grasp is that the one thing that's missing, the reason that people become miserable or the thing that's really being stripped from society and why society, the, the world feels so bear and what the savage can't really even grasp and Mustafa Mond is missing is the idea of love which you had mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that what Helmholtz and Bernard and Lenina and the savage and Mustafa Mond what all the society is missing and ultimately wants is love because that is a much higher virtue and without getting too much into it, it is a much higher virtue 
than happiness. And love is always uncomfortable because it requires us to step out of ourselves and pour out into another. Love is the cross, and the cross is by definition uncomfortable. Right. I think the last thing I'll add is kind of going off of that. I think we as a society, we recognize that. We recognize that there's something more than just what we're going for Mm -hmm. or just the simple comforts of life. Mm -hmm. I think the issue is that we don't find it to be attainable or we have this like idea in our mind that it's not possible or that it's something beyond what we are capable of or willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the struggle comes in. Or we're just not willing to necessarily make the strides, right? We, we are addicted to our soul and not just like drugs, but our social media, whatever it is. Right. I mean, sometimes I think our society today, social media is our soma more than anything. It blinds us from the real passions of the world. We're just stuck in our phones. And I am just as guilty as everyone else. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm always on my phone. Yeah. And I sit there, and I'm on social media for an hour, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could have done something beautiful with this time. Yeah, but there can be a lot of good things to come from that, too. Mm-hmm. So do you have a challenge for this week? Yes. Uh, so my challenge for this week is to read Brave New World. Um, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, I would recommend the book. My challenge for this week is to actually look, um, take a good look at our life and and see where it is that we are using comfort as an excuse, where we're, where we're wanting to stick in our comfort zones um, to really take time to discern where God is asking us to step outside of our comfort to grow as individuals and just, and just do it. It's actually something when I was listening to this podcast with uh, Matt Frad and Christopher West, yeah. They talked about Exodus 90, and I had a friend ask me that Sunday if I wanted to do Exodus 90 with him. And I was like, there's no way I want to take these cold showers and, like, cut out, like, all social media. Like, yeah, I should limit it or, like, whatever for, like, 90 days. Like, I just don't know if I can do all of these things. And then I listened to that podcast, and I, and I sit there, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I really should. You know, maybe I really should just take on this suffering, this asceticism, and cut some of these things that, like, are not bad, but just like refocus, mm-hmm. you know? And so where's the God's asking me to step outside of my comfort zone? Well, there's plenty of places and I don't have to do them all at once, but I certainly need to do one of them at least now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my, my challenge is to really f- fight against also, um, this is just like a separate thing because we're talking about New York and everything. Um, obviously I work for a statewide organization and there are um, some really key legislative things that we're trying to pass. And so, um, especially in light of what's going on with uh, New York and Virginia, even just writing to your local officials and just telling them about how, like, the pro-life cause is actually important to you. Yeah. Um, and affirming people, like, especially if you're in, like, New York or Virginia or something, like, that's actually voting on these issues in such a negative way, um, which is something I'm going to talk about is this real division, right? There's not really a middle ground anymore because it's, it's, very, it's very polarized. To really step up for life and step up for your faith and, and not allow us to fall into a complacent world like Brave New World, right? right? Where we're just going through the motions and there's no real passion, right? Because that is missing something fundamental to life. Is there anything else you have? Uh, quick shout out. So I want to give a shout out to Michelle Westoff. She's a relatively new listener, um, but she's actually the mom of one of my, one of my friends from back in Iowa. So actually, cool. I gave her daughter, Tia, who's my friend, mm-hmm. a shout out for helping rescue me oh, uh, when I was in the stuck in the snow with my car. 
while oh. I was back there. So. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, thank you all. Thanks for uh, tuning into this very long episode. But there was a lot to cover. It's an entire book that I wanted to try to get through today. So. Yeah. So thank you guys for sticking with us. I know it's probably the longest episode we've had yet. So thank you. Uh, but also, if you guys like the show, if you enjoy any of it, please, please, please give us a review on whatever you're listening to, whether it be SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Yeah. Every review that we get helps us to reach more people. In addition to that, uh, we are trying to grow, We're trying to get better yeah. equipment, trying to get more speakers to come in and be, and be guests and stuff, and all of that costs money. So if you love what we do and you're interested in helping us out, even if it's just a couple dollars a month, all of that helps. So please, please, please check out our Patreon. The link is in the notes section below. You can also check out the website that we talked about a little bit on this, this mm-hmm. show. Uh, again, it's the Christ in culture, the Christ in culture.com. And you can catch us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube at all the links below. And if you ever read this book or you have a chance to read it, there's a lot of things we haven't touched on that I haven't been able to go as in depth as I would like to, other than making this like a three hour podcast. So please, uh, if you guys want to talk more about it, shoot an email to the Christ in culture at gmail.com. I would love to have a conversation with you guys, um, just about some more of the stuff, especially with everything going on in today's world yeah so. you can also contact contact us from the website itself yeah. too so if you want Perfect. to leave, leave some message all that works great so, i didn't even know that so that's cool yeah thank <laughs> the you things you learn yeah thank you guys for joining us on the adventure and we will see you next week <laughs>